Welcome to the Simpleton Podcast with your hosts, Mark Massey and Laura Heyman. Hey, Clark. Hello, Laura. All right, today Hello. we have an audio essay for you uh, with commentary. We have the hubbub and conservative media and what that means about the marketplace of ideas. We're going to talk about Simple House Retreat that starts next week. And we're going to have our simple living hack, if you call it that. <laughs> now, if you see me losing blood during this podcast, I cut myself shaving on my left nostril and I can't stop the the problem. The blood loss. The blood loss. Been going okay. on for an hour. This seems like TMI, but I suppose if you start bleeding in the middle of this recording, explanation is helpful. You just so. have to take it home if I lose too much blood to go on. All right. All right. Okay. All right. We're going to start with an audio essay. This essay was released in print format before Christmas. Here we go. Misunderstanding poverty, the big picture. Poverty is usually treated as a problem of resources and opportunity. If more stuff, education, or jobs were provided, poverty would be cured. This perspective is wrong. People cross the border with less resources and opportunity than any citizen, and they escape poverty. They do this while intergenerational poverty continues in our country. Something is holding people back even though they have more resources and opportunity than new immigrants. While starting a simple house, I read about a Filipino priest working in Mongolia. He ran a boarding school for homeless children. He entered the sewer of the capital city and he looked for children and families taking shelter from the cold. While reading this, I was moved by the profound poverty and I wanted to visit to see the mission. Then I read a line that is hard to believe. The priest said that he had to find the children within the first few months of living in the sewer. If they had been there longer, they would prefer the freedom of the sewer to his school. He was dealing with something more complex than material poverty, and his mission work didn't seem fundamentally different than from ours. Since then, this strange observation has been confirmed over and over again. We ran a mission in Nicaragua until political turmoil made the country unsafe for Americans. The problems of poverty in Nicaragua are similar to the problems in America. They don't have running water, but they have big screen TVs. They would offer to sell their land to the mission in exchange for an hourly job. It's difficult to help people who are turning away their opportunities. The level of resources and opportunity in Nicaragua is different, but the essence of the problem is the same. True poverty is worse than everyone pretends. The cliches of giving fish versus teaching to fish and rescuing a drowning man versus preventing him from falling in do not address the true essence of poverty. Even if the stores were free and everyone was hired for their favorite job, there would still be poverty. That is the fearsome reality. I am not sure if any of these examples and arguments would have convinced me of this truth. Trying to help people over the last 20 years is what convinced me. Real poverty is linked to despair. It is a lack of hope, purpose, and meaning. When these things are gone, a person begins a slow suicide through self-defeating behavior. Christianity has never been about curing poverty through stuff. Christianity is for people in bad situations, and it gives them the opportunity to live a rich, meaningful life, even with imperfect circumstances. This does not excuse our duty to give alms or, and work for justice. Rather, it puts it in perspective. Everyone needs to live fully now, waiting for a future utopia is not good enough. Working towards a solution. 
The solution for a despairing person is not empathy and commiseration. Empathy and commiseration have a small role, but they must transition quickly to something else. They don't need a companion trying to fathom despair. The person needs to be redirected. People need help with baby steps towards hope, purpose, and meaning. This always requires labor. Work was one of the gifts given to us after the fall. Without it, it's impossible to pray and have meaning in our life. Trying to save someone from unpleasant work is a common pitfall of charitable workers and missionaries. We cannot merely give to the poor. We must enable them to help themselves. We can increase the reward of their work, and we can work alongside them. But we cannot do it for them. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph. The Christian religion makes claims unlike every other religion. It claims God is personable, and he has a particular love for you. God is always with you, and he can coexist within you as the Holy Spirit. God gives freedom while paradoxically creating rules, work, and responsibilities. These claims have deep implications. One of them is that no person who is with God is poor, and everyone senses this. When you meet a poor person who has hope, joy, and purpose, you don't feel bad for them. You don't envy them either. You feel fortunate to be in their presence. They are a friend of the king, and all of their needs will be filled will be and are filled. The God solution is the nuclear solution to poverty. How do we implement the God solution? We can't. All we can do is embrace God's role in our own lives and make him more available to others. Essentially, we just have to make more room for our friend, God, in all of our relationships. That's great, Clark. I love it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Part of the reason why we're discussing this is I wrote this. I nervously sent this essay out and um, weirdly, no one has disagreed with it. It's yeah. I, and I think it's full of controversial ideas. Um, so either people are on board or. I don't know. <laughs> or they're afraid of confronting the controversy. Yeah. But no, yeah. people, not only are people, is it not getting zero response? It's actually getting a very good response. Like people are stopping and mentioning it. We yeah. had donors increase donations saying wow. that was the reason. Wow. Um, That's great. It, it's just yeah. kind of a strange thing because it's not a pop, nothing in that essay is popular. Yeah. Yeah. What's your reaction to it? Yeah. Well, I have uh, a lot. (laughs) I would say the main thing it makes me think of is, um, you know, when Jesus tells the apostles that the poor will always be with us. And well, he says the poor will always be with you. And um, this idea uh, was stressed a lot when we were volunteering with Exodus. Uh, It's like a simple idea, um, but it's a whole like worldview, (laughs) you know, in that one sentence. And I had never had that idea um, stressed so much before until then. And uh, there's a lot that just that idea implies, like we can't cure poverty um, because like Jesus tells us, it will always, you know, be with us. It's always going to be a fact of life. God gives us free will. 
there's a primacy uh, of the person. You know, someone wants to lavish uh, Jesus with this gift, and the apostles are like, this money could be used for the poor, and it's like this this person here in front of me is is the primary thing right now, and we'll always need to rely on God, and that Jesus wants to accept like our gifts, you know, and we should accept each other's gifts. And this is kind of like an anti-materialist worldview. So, yeah. yeah. You know, I met a retired DC social worker uh, mm-hmm. out here in Kansas city one time. He was in oh, RCIA. Interesting. He was an older yeah. um, black man. And uh, after I was kind of talking about simple house to this RCA class, he goes, he goes, you know, back in the seventies when I was a social worker, We'd say the government declared war on poverty and poverty won. Right. (laughs) Right. And what's interesting is like in the charitable kind of space, uh, you meet people who act like poverty is very fixable. It's just a matter of Mm -hmm. either taking from the rich or it's a matter of getting the right recipe of programs together. Mm -hmm. You know, I've even had someone who um, was kind of religious. It was a young person just looked me in the eye and said, you know, I'm, I'm Catholic. I believe in all this, but I don't believe one thing Jesus said. And I'm like, oh yeah. And she's like, I don't believe the poor will always be with us. Yeah. You know? And, and that was interesting. It was like, that it was is kind of like a mission statement flag for her that she was going to solve poverty. Wow. Yeah. And that's going to be a rough life if anybody takes that as their mission statement. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, and, but just what that implies is it's it's a lot more than can you help the poor? Can you not help the poor? You know, it's like, does God allow you to make a good and bad choices in your life? You know? Right. Right. Yeah. And we're getting to a point where, like, you could almost imagine, like, the Star Trek world in front of us. Like, mm-hmm. poverty's always been relative. Like yeah. our poor today are rich. Like, right. I, like this is what something Warren Buffett said recently. He said, when I was a child, like Rockefeller was still alive. I, he didn't quite put it that way, but he says, since <laughs> I've been alive, the poor today have better entertainment options. Yeah. Better health care. Mm-hmm. Um, more variety of food than the richest yeah. person alive when I was born. Oh, He's yeah. 90 something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's kind of a truth that we're not deeply understanding yeah you know that should be like just a basic you know observation of reality that Mm -hmm. should influence our worldview that most of us are kind of shocked by when it's said that way yeah right but we're going to at some point almost get to a post-scarcity economy you know this idea that like we'll just have enough of everything yeah yeah and um there still will be poverty Like that's how undefeatable poverty is. And that's not to discourage anyone working to serve the poor, but that's to give perspective onto the nature of this. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I, I know like, you know, one example of of this is a thing people have talked about a lot is like a lot of uh, poor areas in our country, you know, have been described as like food deserts where like junk food is like the only option. And I think that was actually in, at least in DC, that was, a lot more true when we started doing simple house ministry and it's not really true anymore. <laughs> you know, um, I even think that that was a little bit contrived. Yeah. You know, I hate to say it, but I mean, the poor had access to the foods they demanded and people can say, well, they were addicted to junk food or whatever. Sure. Yeah. But let's not yeah. like take away their own agency here. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. 
I'm not trying to say that that there isn't something worthy to be worked on there, but like yeah. every few years there's a new fad of like some new way to help the poor yeah. and it'll have energy for three, four years and whole ministries yeah. will get founded and then it fades and there's the next yeah. fad. And I feel like the food desert thing is okay. An issue. Yeah. You know? I think that but was I an think, issue. I think it was act like it was a huge issue and it's like, I don't know that this is actually right. what you think Well, it I is. think it was a an issue worthy of addressing, you know, but to think that that was going to like solve problems, you know, like serious problems. I, I think naive. the bigger issue to yeah. me, of course, now we're just kind of on a tangent away from this, the mm-hmm. main topic here. But like, I think the main idea to me is just predatory uh, capitalism, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. be it with food, be it with car loans, yeah. be it with payday loans, be it with multi-level marketing schemes. Yep. This is something that my wife and I have had funny roundabouts. I get hot mad when I feel like a manipulation's happening, like with sales, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And um, to the point that it's like irrational mad. <laughs> <laughs> and one time, this lady was trying to sell my wife an upgraded Costco membership. And I was kind of losing it in yeah. Costco, trying to say, no, we don't want this. It's like, I can speak for myself, you know? Yeah, 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 like, yeah. It's like, what's happening to this woman at home that her husband is this crazy about, you know, <laughs> Costco membership upgrades, you know? Yeah. But like those like trigger me when I see people like, we're even yeah. having a meeting today with a guy who keeps getting into these like payment plans for different things. And oh, a lot gosh. of the payment plans are like for lawyers. Like he'll get in legal trouble and a lawyer will be like, hey, pay me hundred bucks a month and I'll make this go away in the next two years. You know, yeah. it's like, that's 2,400 bucks. You how much are, are you, you don't even this? have enough yeah. money to like clothe your kids and you have multiple lawyers you're paying for yeah. things like traffic tickets and yeah. you know, just like things that are just like, what? Yeah. Um. So anyway, there's a lot of predatory stuff out there that just go. All right. Back to topic. All right. Back to um, the topic. <laughs> oh, you know, something else I was thinking of was, um, I think it's in Augustine's Confessions. At some point, he talks about, like, what the major classes were in this, like, school he was teaching in or going. I don't yeah. know if he was going or teaching. This kind of really saw our classical education podcast. I, I remember very distinctly that two of the classes, there's only, like, three. It was, like, philosophy, rhetoric, and elocution. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, elocution? Mm-hmm. Do you know what that is? I had to look that up. Yeah. Like how you speak. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They would take a class in, in just speaking well. You, you know, I, I, I think like a lot of seminaries have that to help. Really? Peace. Yeah. Okay. Well, when have, I had to read that essay, I was like, this is a great trial of elocution. I need, I wonder if I yeah. need to do this again. Well, you know, what was, uh, Interesting is like uh, Mount St. Mary's, the seminary at Mount St. Mary's had this woman that taught that class for many years. And all the guys that would graduate from there, like would, you know, they would speak normal when you were in conversation with them. But then their homilies, they switched it, you know, and I remember being in Kansas City and hearing a homily. And I was like, he went to Mount St. Mary's. And sure enough, he did. Yes, it was Father Borkenhagen in Parsons. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Anyway. Also besides the point, but interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is interesting because I've noticed yeah. that like I was in speech and debate in high school and stuff. And um, they tell you the gold standard is the conversational tone. Mm. Like that is the whole goal is to like oh, make oh. your public speaking match your private speaking. Yeah. That was not the goal in the homily. Uh, <laughs> well, what, yeah. what's funny is even when you tell people that's the goal, it's like they can't do it. 
Yeah. They get into yeah. these like vocal patterns where you could do mm-hmm. like do re mi fa so la ti do. Like <laughs> and and the and the patterns don't even match the points they're making. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um all yeah. right, back away from allocution. All right. All right. Can I do a little another rant cuz I think you're going to say something important. I got two less important okay, things to cover. Okay, all right. Let's hear it. Okay. There's a line in the essay about teaching to fish versus giving fish. Uh-huh. And I think we all know what that refers to, right? Yeah. But the yeah. other line is about saving the drowning man. Yes. Right? In the early days of Simple House, I have not heard this for a while, but it seemed mm-hmm. like everyone, particularly everyone who is Jesuit educated, mm-hmm. had some need to come up to me and say, well, it's one thing to pull a drowning man out of the river. Yeah. And it's another thing to go up the river and, and to find the man who's throwing people into the river and stop him. Yeah. Yeah. This is not nearly as wise as it sounds. <laughs> it's kind of an argument about just in systemic poverty, but like yeah. I've just never found like it was interesting how people felt like that was like such a great story. And it's like, like, let's just go to the root of the problem. We don't need a story. All the people that we've ever met in ministry, you know, they're drowning in the river because of like a very weird combination of like, uh, personal sin, familial sin, some bad choices, some resources, but like a uh, uh, person throwing some them or someone in their family, you know, in the river has maybe been a tiny, tiny part of the problem. You know, like it yeah. doesn't. Yeah. Even if even if you want to like kind of like create a like a little sliding scale of like how mu- what percentage of the problem you want to assign to different factors. Yeah. It's never true that it's always someone's fault. It's it's hundred percent someone's fault, and it's almost never true that it's not someone's fault either. Yeah, you know, right. like the yeah. two simple narratives are the person's a victim or the person yeah. is at fault are both wrong, and they're just both so clearly wrong that they yeah. like don't need said. Yeah, yeah, which has something to do with nuance, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that, that's your transition, Laura. Yeah, okay. Oh, by the I, way, so- ben, ben likes to cut out our transitions. Ben is the third member of this podcast who rarely yes. talks. Ben, do you want to say something? All the time. Ben is the editor. Yeah. Ben makes us look smarter than we are because he cuts out all the ums and ohs and pauses. <laughs> he also likes to cut out transitions. So you as a listener are getting just rapid fire information from us. And that's why sometimes we're talking about JP2. And in the next sense, we're talking about V8 engines. <laughs> and you don't know why, how we got from one to the other. Ben doesn't care. You don't know how. Yeah. Ben's just getting you these ideas as yeah, fast ben as you can. thinks you should see how they're obviously related. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. I have to do the work to make it seamlessly flow from exploitations of the poor into homilies into river analogies when you guys are literally saying (laughs) you're going on tangents so i am not the one at fault here love you guys love this podcast well i okay so speaking about jp2 and speaking about nuance um you said in our last podcast you know that you don't like john paul ii's writing and part of the reason is you think he kind of like kills the idea with nuance you know and uh i was thinking about that because i i was offended by that um not really, but John Paul II was a philosopher. He was trained as a philosopher and it's the job of like the philosopher to really like get at like what a thing is and is not. And that's like an important, 
like we need that. Right. And, and I think like in our Catholic circle, people are like really into nuance. <laughs> and I think a lot of people have seen that as like a kind of necessary tool for evangelization, you know, like helping people. I don't know, but I think there's like another important way of communicating and that's not nuance. And this essay has very little nuance, by the way. <laughs> um, Right. And that, and that's on purpose. Like the yeah. idea is to be punchy and to get the idea across. Yeah. And, and that's like, it's exactly what we talked about in the last podcast about breaking frame yeah. and nerding out. Right. Yeah. Like and I, I was thinking like, there's just been moments in my life where like a priest in confession needed to say something stark, you know, or it's like sometimes a person needs to hear like you could go to hell, you know, period. Right. And it's true, you know? And there's a lot of things you could say about that. Like, well, you had a troubled childhood and God understands that. And that's why you might have these temptations and whatever. And I do think like that nuance is true as well, <laughs> but it's not helpful always, you know? Well, right. And sometimes the nuance actually kills the point. Like yeah. when Jesus says it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel to pass through the eye of the needle. And mm -hmm. then what priests do is for seven minutes, try to unpack that in a nuanced way that actually takes the power out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or, um, and it's not that there isn't nuance to be had there, yeah. but like, you know, there's many times when Jesus does this. I'm trying to, there was another one on the tip of my tongue that I already forgot, but somehow this non, this like way of speaking that's very direct is what is necessary to get someone who's very much like outside the right way of thinking yeah. to like break their paradigm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And when you take like a JP two style, that's okay. When you have people in the same paradigm who are sitting down trying to get to yeah. all the details and kind of nerd out on it and kind of like really figure it out. Then you like, want all yeah. that nuance. Right. Like you've, you've really agreed on a lot of things and like, uh, had a powerful conversion, you know, to be like nerding out about those details. Um, right. And I think all, I think this is very important for all of us to understand. Um, mm -hmm. a, a changing point in my life was when. Hey, Ben again, quick heads up. Clark tells a quick story here that involves uh, self-harm and death. So trigger warning, uh, skip ahead a minute and 10 seconds if you want to skip over that. Also, this transition is a little bit rough for the sake of keeping uh, details private and anonymous. So there's no names involved here. And this person came in and her boyfriend had just killed himself, mm -hmm. right? And she was talking about what she could have done. She was talking about how this this boyfriend was sad and isn't it so sad that he did this, you know? And the girlfriend was talking about what she could have done more. What like she to could have done it? more to help her boyfriend okay. and also yeah. the sadness he struggled with, et cetera. Right. Yeah. Okay. And the psychiatrist comes in the room and is like, look, I have half an hour with you. And I need to get a few things very clearly across, mm -hmm. right? This was an act of anger and this was a murder and you're very lucky he did not murder you. Ugh. Right. And the way she just so directly hit those points, yeah. you know, and well, should there be nuance? That also is going to defeat the whole point. Like that, that's also like leading you down this road. That's like yeah. not the way to process this. Yeah, right. Like I, I think living with that nuance is like living in hell, <laughs> you know, like you're like getting caught up in the details when the big picture 
uh, point yeah. is off. Like he he wronged himself. He wronged her, you know. Right. Right. So this is something that priests and like as a parent, I don't find this to be that fruitful because like mm-hmm. I have a thousand hours with my children. Yeah. Uh, more than that, who knows? A hundred thousand hours over their life, you know, with my children. So, like, yeah. I can nuance them to death. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there's a lot of people in your life that um, could be like someone in a uh, abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're gonna like real subtly try to deal with that, you will often be of no use because you're only gonna have an hour to talk to the person, yeah. or a half hour, or five yeah. minutes. You know what I mean? Or if you see like like I've seen abuse happen, right? And in that moment, I think a very like kind of almost um, I'm saying violent, but I don't mean physical violent. I mean, like violent in the sense of like intellectually, emotionally, mm-hmm. verbally violent reaction is actually quite called for. Yeah. Right. A non nuanced reaction of condemnation. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's not always smarter and better to be the nuanced person to yeah. footnote everything. Yeah. Yeah. Another example of this is um, Peter Thiel. Um, a lot of people probably don't know who he is, but he's kind of a billionaire conservative guy who rarely gives talks. He gives talks about once a year or less, (laughs) but his talks are often (laughs) like turn your world upside down. Like his ideas are often quite radical, duly different than the mainstream. Yeah. And somebody who works with him was saying that, um, his ideas are usually that he expresses are very carefully said, and they're very shortly said yeah. and they're set and he knows they're only about 97% correct. Yeah. And the audience, when you hear the idea is thinking of the 3% exceptions the whole time, but he's getting his point across. Yeah. And yeah. you laboring to f- for two days, trying to think of all the exceptions to <laughs> his statement is driving his point home. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. He was one of the co-founders of PayPal. Right. With Elon. Which has been like a kind of major frame breaker. <laughs> right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's hard to see PayPal as a frame breaker now that it's uh, such an obvious like we have online payments all the time. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. But it was disruptive. So. Yeah. Yeah. I had said something about like this idea is like kind of anti-materialist. And I think there's like Two things that people, when we bring new people out on ministry, they struggle. There's a lot of things that people struggle with, but there's two ideas, um, two things. One is they think people are going to be so grateful for this like crappy bag of groceries. (laughs) Sometimes we bring really nice bags of groceries, but um, (laughs) sometimes, uh, you know, we bring kind of a modest bag of groceries and they think people are going to be so grateful and they're like upset when they're not. And it's like, what did you think we were giving them with this bag of groceries, you know? And another thing is they feel like very uncomfortable when a person, uh, we go visit someone and they want to offer, like they want to offer us food or some other thing. And, and people struggle with that. Like they don't want to take away. And it's like rejecting the food is actually like a far greater offense, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's Um, right. That's, um, yeah. The real poverty you're addressing is social and spiritual, et cetera, et cetera. And eating with someone is a great way to address it. Right. So like when you're turning down the offer, you are really not addressing poverty at all. No, you're You're actually, yeah, you're, you're counter to your aims there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, 100%. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting that strikes people is that like Simple House has a voluntary poverty to it. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be kind of a monastic poverty. Yeah. Like you don't have enough money to go buy, you know, $8 beers or whatever at the bar, <laughs> you know, and the house itself is simple with, you yeah. know, used furniture, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you go into the poverty of, say, a project neighborhood and there's almost too much stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's maybe like you go into a house and there's like something that's very expensive, like the big screen TV. Mm-hmm. But then there's like a lot of clothes on the floor that are dirty, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe there's mice or whatever. Right. And when, clearly when, you know, monks or anyone wants to live voluntary poverty, they're not trying to live the poverty of the project neighborhood. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But the poverty of the project neighborhood is the real poverty. Mm-hmm. It's the poverty that will always be with us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. So I wanted to talk about also. So this this ministry that you were talking about, the Filipino priest, um, he made this comment. Or you said he said that um, if the children were in the sores like more than a few months, they would always prefer the freedom of the sores. You know, right. and I don't know exactly what the parallel to that here is, but but I can tell you a parallel. Okay. Well, D.C. is divided into like four quadrants, northwest, mm-hmm. southeast, southwest, oh, yeah, northeast, yeah. That's, right? There it is. Yep. And <laughs> we've had family and southeast has historically been the poorest quadrant and yeah. northwest has historically has Georgetown DuPont Circle has been the richest quadrant. Right. And, we've but, had and apart from the richest quadrant, it's it's like you are closer to the housing department to like a lot of the social services. Yeah. You have way more stores. You have way more. It's the most yeah. convenient department. It's the most yeah. convenient. The buses quadrant. and the Metro is better. It's probably the best place <laughs> to find a job. It's more, yeah. it's too expensive for most people to live in, but we would have a family seven multiple times relocate to Northwest due to a shelter or mm-hmm. something like that. Something that took care of their rent. And literally every day their kids would get on the Metro and go back to Southeast. Yeah. And they would even sometimes just move out of Northwest to go back to Southeast. Yeah. Right. Because they wanted whatever was in Southeast. Yeah. And what was in Southeast was more street violence, more drugs, Mm -hmm. more, um, more poverty in every way. Um, But there was also a freedom in that. Yeah. You know, I've noticed that in my own, like in living in a transitional neighborhood, that as the neighborhood gets better, some people are kind of PO'd that it gets better. And it's not because they're worried about affordable housing or any of these like yeah. more worthy reasons. They're worried that they can't ride their uh, three-wheeler without a muffler yeah. down the street Yeah, anymore. yeah. There's more demands on the... <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. People are yeah. now calling the car. Yeah, like yeah. they can't have a car up on blocks in front of their house anymore yeah. because the neighborhood's improving and the neighbors don't yeah. want to put up with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so this priest has like a specific like housing ministry or whatever. I don't know his ministry, right? So I don't know. But but there's like like those children in the sewers like also still need Jesus, you know? Right. And um this is I I think another thing that people struggle with and it's like, well, what does like a meaningful ministry to this person like 
look like. And I remember once um, this missionary was a focus missionary. So she was like uh, doing missionary work with college students, you know, and she asked, well, how many vocations had we had out of like the people that we serve, like come out of the people that we serve? And I was like, what are you even talking about? You know, and that would be beautiful if that ever happens, you know, but we have had conversions in people. We have had conversions. We have had. Yes. We have had conversions. We, we have just not haven't had, had anyone become a priest yet. Priestly who... vocations. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, you know, she didn't know. It was a very out of touch thing to ask. And I think that conversion looks different sometimes from what we want it to look like. And we have to like imagine like what does that look like for the street children? Um, you know, um, and I think that. It, it might sort of arrive at an answer that is like repulsive to the world. You know, it doesn't mean like rehabilitate the person to get a job and a house and whatever. It, it might not mean that for some of those street children, you know? Right. Um, and, uh, can I, can I riff off that? So yeah. like we have these interactions of Christ, of Jesus mm-hmm. with the um, poor, right? Like the adulterous the woman caught in the act of adultery or the prostitute, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't really know the future of these people. Mm-hmm. You know, like we know that Jesus did what he did and we believe what he did was both perfect and perfectly loving and the perfect piece of ministry for that person right there. Cause he's God. Right. Mm-hmm. But we actually don't know that they all went on to live great reformed chaste mm-hmm. lives afterwards, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And um, that's just us telling ourselves the story because that's the narrative we like. Yeah. You know, and you see this with ministry where, well, I actually just made a case that sometimes in life you're going to have one touch ministry. You're going to have half an hour with someone. You got to come in strong and hot, you know, and not nuanced. Right. And Mm -hmm. that's fine. And that's real. And um, we all need to, like, figure that out. But with the poor, um, it's very it's much more likely that you need to have an ongoing ministry with this person. relationship wise right and when people set up one touch ministries with the poor like they're just going to go out and have a hot dog with a homeless guy and they're going to talk about how maybe that changed his whole life and they'll literally tell the story that way with no evidence it actually had any long-term effect yeah right but it's like that idea it's so impossible for us to see the goodness in the act and the eternal like every act of love is an eternal act yes yeah. Right. You don't need to have this narrative afterwards. Right. It'd be nice. I'd like it kind of that you yeah. talk to some addict and then they like fell over and weren't addicted anymore. Yeah. You Beautiful. know, yep. <laughs> but really, <laughs> yeah. you need to have a great loving interaction with that addict. Yeah. Or your own family member. Yep. You know, even if they don't fall over and lose yeah. all their problems, you yep. know? Yeah. And when we, we've had even missionaries who like came to Simple House and you have to like beat this out of them. Yeah. And yeah, like an idea we have to talk about. We don't is actually like, beat our missionaries. Sorry. Oh, not in Casey. <laughs> 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 you know, like an idea we have to talk about is like Jesus came for the poor, you know, and he identifies with the poor and it's never qualified as like the deserving poor. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. And like Jesus is identifying with the attic somehow, you know, Yep. It's kind of our job to accept that. <laughs> um, oh, I, I want to talk about like uh, hope and imagination. You know, a lot of people have like lost the ability to imagine a different future, you know, and if your life 
kind of stinks and you can't imagine something different or better or even if it's not your situation changing something eternal that's beautiful you know that can be like a powerful thing that a, a missionary can do is help somebody imagine a different future um, right but it has to be like I don't want to make us sound like we need to be like car salesmen or something, but <laughs> there's like a lot of sexiness in the street life, you know? And right. What's, and, th and that's what's mainly the what we're fighting is the street mm -hmm. life. Like yeah. you have to understand the allure of poverty and the allure yeah. of running the streets yeah. to try to break frame with that, you know? Yeah. I'm becoming such a broken record. And there's something about like the good life that isn't like the flashy kind of sexy, you know, it's like, the fruitful kind of sexy, but it's not the, <laughs> well, I would like yeah. to kind of like take what you're saying and change it a little bit because mm -hmm. I think you're talking about future and the good life and that what you're aspiring to is the good life. Right. Yeah. And, um, you're right. And like, even yeah. now, like we had like a snow day yesterday and I was kind of like hanging out with my kids and I thought this is like better than a European vacation. Yeah. You know, I keep, oh, yeah, yeah, up, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but it's just awesome in some way. Right. And like, let's acknowledge the awesomeness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the other thing, though, is um, there's also this idea of like good, honest fun. I think yeah. the most fun things we all do in our lives are often very silly things. They're yeah. like a Nerf gun war with right. your roommate down the hallway or yeah. they're yes. like and like and the very best moments are sometimes like fried chicken with family. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And these are not like sexy things. Right. Right. And they're almost accidental things. Sometimes they yes. happen with zero planning. Always recreate them. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you meet someone rich or poor who like has this problem of like, well, it can't be fun unless it can't yeah. be fun unless it's popular or Instagram worthy yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And you're like, no, actually, fried chicken gizzards are epic. Yeah. And awesome and yeah. great. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or look at this tuna mashup I just did. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is as good as any meal you're ever going to get. Or like, or like a little game you're playing that's like not even a game you bought. You're just like throwing washers in a bucket or something like yeah. this, right? Or like you're playing, you know, basketball with crumpled up mm -hmm. paper and all of a sudden you're having more fun than something yeah. like when you like lay down the money to go to Disney World. Yeah. Right. Like I think yeah. this is happening all the time in our lives. Totally. And yeah. getting people to kind of like um, have that type of honest fun is so great. You know, it's it like is. missionary yeah. work. Yeah. You know? Totally. Totally. And it, like getting a parent to do that with their kids and to really enjoy their kids. Yes. Like I'm, I'm yeah. big on like it's one thing to love someone. It's another thing to enjoy them. And it's almost yes. more important to enjoy them. Yes. Because it just assumes the love. Yeah. That uh, my... High school teacher, uh, Mrs. J, that's like <laughs> her whole like kind of parenting <laughs> advice. Yeah. Advice. Yeah. Like find your children pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard and enjoy her say them. that yeah. before. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think like I agree with what you're saying and it's like you want people to have that experience. Um, but there's something like naive that people are like, think like, oh, someone will see like how nice and peaceful and beautiful my Catholic home is and they will be moved by the beauty of this, you know? <laughs> right. And, and want to be Catholic too, you know? There's something like naive about that. And uh, to create like the circumstances where people can kind of like let their guard down and play that silly game, like there, there's maybe some artfulness or something in there, but yeah. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, somehow, like, when you really get a great Catholic witness, it's kind of a messy witness. Yes, yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, th- there's a lot of life here. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't look like they're on top of everything, but it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. It's yeah. not because they've nailed it. Mm-hmm. You know? That actually makes you feel defeated because you know you can't nail it. Right, right. No, it's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Catholicism's only for type A personalities yeah, yeah, yeah. who nail it, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's move on. Let's um, move on. Great. Okay. All right. So something happened this week that borderlines on um, gossip, but we're not going to treat it that way because it kind of revealed something that was interesting. There was a um, kind of notable conservative talking head who has kind of a video podcast. Uh, for those who are curious who probably already know this, it's Steven Crowder. He's leaving his old media agency and looking for a new gig, right? And there's kind of some competition out there for it. And he's kind of making fun of some of the offers. But what's interesting about it is it appears that his services, the value of his, you know, infotainment, conservative talk, anti-woke stuff is worth between 12 and 20 million a year. Yeah. If you put that into a net present value calculator, you will realize that he alone has a greater net worth or value to his services than the Washington Post. And that is shocking. Yes. And he's not like, a, he's someone who most people haven't even heard of, right? Yeah. Like he's not the biggest name out no. there, right? No. Initially, the first thing I thought, it's like, it's like not only, <laughs> like he has options, like he shop and he can turn down you well, know, honestly, he should yeah. just go in business for himself. That's where he's going to make most money. Yeah. But um, I think that what's interesting is um, there's multiple conservative new media people by new media. Mm-hmm. I mean, podcasts, YouTube channel, et cetera, yeah. that mm-hmm. are their whole gig is worth more than enormous institutional media establishment. Yeah. Right. So what does this tell us? It tells us that the information that people are willing to pay for. The mm-hmm. information that moves products and ads yeah. is not the woke information. To confirm this, I went and looked at the biggest podcasts, the most valuable podcast mm-hmm. lists. I looked at a couple of those and I looked at the most valuable YouTube channels. Mm-hmm. None of them are progressive, right? There are uh, some yeah, that are yeah. neutral, you know, yeah. but most of them, even if they're not overtly conservative, have overtly become anti-woke. Yeah, I, I was going to, I think there's some big people right now, you know, with podcasts and sub that I think would consider themselves like liberal, but they're kind of anti-woke, you know? Right. I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if Barry Weiss, who used to be on the Wall Street Journal and used to be on the New York Times, who would not call herself a conservative so much, but she's definitely conservative. She was definitely brought in as a conservative voice at the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if she, in a sense, is far more profitable than the New York Times. Now, whether yeah, or not she's I worth more, I, if we were to sell the New York Times, I doubt. But but um, I bet her profit margin is multiples of the New York Times profit margin. Geez, I wish I could remember this number, but I think I don't remember if it was Matt Ty or Glenn Greenwald, um, right. who's like another liberal, yep. but not woke. One of these people, the amount that they're. Substack was bringing in a month was insane, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Well, I remember many years ago, Jordan Peterson mentioned that the reason why he was withdrawing from his university was he was yeah. making 60 K a month just doing YouTube. Yeah. You know, which yeah. was making his university salary look silly, but yeah, forget all that for a moment. 
that's not the point is, is we're not trying to say, hey, go get rich, go get canceled and become a yeah. conservative pundit. Um, and which of which there is an army. I mean, there's the A-listers, the B-listers. There's all these people yeah. trying to do that right now. The, the point here is that this is about the marketplace of ideas. Mm-hmm. Right. And the value right now is not on the progressive side. And this is further evidence that we're peaced poke or sorry, post peak woke or post peak progressive messaging. Like if AOC started a podcast today, she would not rival like a Rogan. Right. Right. Not even close. I don't think she'd even be in the top 10. Right. Yeah. Now the lesson there though is interesting because that means that the marketplace has had certain ideas rise to the top and they're definitely anti woke ideas. Mm hmm. Yet, I can't tell, you know, all of our listeners to go assume that progressivism's dead and do whatever you want and don't worry about the HR department, don't worry about mm-hmm. university backlash, because yeah. it's still very powerful, even though the marketplace of ideas, in a sense, has sorted it out. Yeah. Right. So that's interesting, because that means that I feel like when we learned about the marketplace of ideas in like high school or whenever you learned about it, it was like, oh, and then this happens and you think the good ideas will rise to the top. Ta-da. Right. But it's like, okay, good ideas rise to the top. But does that mean they have like power? Right. Does that mean they have like, like probably everyone had given up on communism in the Soviet Union or the majority had, you know, decades before communism ended, Mm -hmm. you know, so it still was powerful for decades. Yeah. Right. And somehow now the power of these progressive ideas is still very strong in academia. It's still mm-hmm. in the HR departments. Yeah. There's forces beyond yeah. popularity. Right. And that's yeah. where I'm pointing this out because that's where the work needs done. Yeah. Right. Like, like one of the claims right now is that mail-in balloting allows ballot harvesting, which makes it mm-hmm. very difficult for conservatives to ever win elections. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you're hearing conservatives make, um, claims like the election stolen they don't actually mean fraud it's like another conservative said if they stole it they stole it fair and square they're actually yeah. stealing <laughs> it completely in accordance with the rules but like what are the thing what are the mechanisms that are keeping the good ideas from becoming the majority opinion and we as catholics mm-hmm. need to be interested in this because of course we have the best ideas and i do mean mm-hmm. that like our catechism mm-hmm. is the like you know cheat book for humanity you know, um, yeah. it has all the cheat codes in it. And somehow our ideas don't always rise to the top. Yeah. You know, there was a time when they did and now we're getting defeated, you know? Yep. Um, yeah. So we got to figure out how to discover the power structures that make bad ideas win and then figure out how not to support them. Yeah. And figure out how to, like, if you believe that, say, these academic institutions are what is bolstering these ideas, then is it right for you to go get a degree at one? Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm not talking about CUA or any particular academic institution, but in general, yeah. you know, yeah. or if you think there's a particularly bad one that is like consolidating this power, maybe mm-hmm. you shouldn't go there for night classes. Maybe you shouldn't, yeah. you know, buy books right. from them or what. Yeah. 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 So. Mm-hmm. And that will go into our simple living hack, which isn't so much a simple living hack, but a weird experience I had while buying glasses. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you have anything to add to that? Or should, cause I, I want us to do like a bigger podcast. We should, we should unpack that more. Um, we should unpack that more in the future, but right. Yeah. Yeah. Like trying um, to identify the, the, the things that are defeating the good ideas, you know, yeah. and it's not ideas that are defeating them. It's something else. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Simple Astro Treat. I want to talk about this and kind of tell people about the Simple Astro Treat. Um, if you really want to go on it, you might reach out to me in a future retreat, particularly our old missionaries sometimes come back for them. We have some mm-hmm. coming this year. Oh, nice. Um, the theme of this retreat is no wimps, no whining. And uh, this theme is necessary because over the years, there's been a lot more wimps and more whining. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just becoming the old guy who compares complains about the younger generation. Yeah. But so we have a silent retreat and I think it's interesting because a lot of the people go on a retreat have never actually been on a yeah. proper retreat. Right. And I don't mean that with like a retreat leader. I mean like what we sometimes call retreat for high school kids for college, you know, students and things is much more like a conference. Yeah. Or almost like a revival. It's almost like yeah. a rally more yeah. than it is a time to like kind of get you and God one-on-one yeah. without and the distractions. They're typically have heavily scheduled, you know? Yeah. Right. You know, the word retreat says what it is. You know? <laughs> right. And yeah. revivals are important too. Like we consider um, the first two weeks of each year, mm-hmm. our simple house training, we call that revival mm-hmm. and it's revival because it's actually a celebration together. We feast yeah. together. We yeah. um, are having a good time together and we're bonding together just like a mm-hmm. high school youth group and does when and they go it's for edifying weekend. it's edifying right. and there's prayer and there's right. you know like uh good talks and stuff right yeah. and we're going to church together and we're kind of like mm-hmm. bolstering each other up that way right yeah. but like during retreat it's much more of like we get together once and then you all have to walk your separate ways for yeah. five hours of silence yeah you know and then yep. come back together yep. and then walk your separate ways again where it's very much optimizing you and God. Yeah. You know, in that one-on-one relationship. Right. Yeah. And, and I it's, think it's we're, like that desert experience, right. you know, like, and, and yeah. I kind of want to think that like sometimes what we're doing with these kind of like r- retreats for young people is a little bit giving them the wrong idea. Cause like, we'll say, Hey, we're let's all f- do a juice fast. I've seen this like on high school retreats and stuff. And it's like, it's not really doing what fasting was intended when you get a whole bunch of people together in a rally and have them do some group self-denial, that's yeah. not why people fast. Yeah. You know, it's not because God is like saying like, Oh, kick ass. All these kids gave up pizza on Friday, you know? Yeah. Um, there, there's something much more personal <laughs> you're going for with yeah. the fast, yeah. you know? Um, and a personal like encounter of like stripping away that's happening. That mm-hmm. doesn't happen when you're all sitting in the gymnasium in a pep rally. Right. Fasting. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I just want to kind of, I think these like pep rally type revivals are very important. Yeah. They are very important. Yeah. But, uh, so are retreats. Yeah. And we don't want to confuse us too. Sort of modern life, you know, gives us very little opportunity to have like, you know, quiet silence, like, uh, time to encounter God and ourselves, you know, when we're trying to build that in at a simple house, like to like the daily part, you know, giving people lots of time for prayer, um, having rules about talking in the community. Um, and there's something even then that's just like an hour in the morning, not being captured that you try to get at retreat, you know, when it's like, you're really, (laughs) if you got hours and hours by yourself, you kind of have to deal with yourself, you know, and stand before God. Um, Right. If someone is afraid, I I find that people who are really excited to do retreat kind of get what it's about. And people who are really scared to retreat get what Mm -hmm. it's about and everyone in between. 
Yeah. I'm not positive they understand what's getting ready to happen. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't mean it won't work, but they're not that ready. True. Yeah. 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 Um, because people don't do retreats regularly, they get these unrealistic ideas on them. You know, like mm-hmm. we have a silent retreat where we let people ask questions if we have a talk. Mm-hmm. And we also have a silent retreat where we let people talk at dinner. Yeah. And they're like, well, that's not really a silent retreat. Okay. It's not, but it's. Ninety five percent of silent retreat, and that's a, and we we, yeah. we we you have to balance that to get the most uh, bang for your buck. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, we modify people's diets. We say there's no meat, no fish, no sugar on retreat. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of encourage people to experiment a little bit with a greater fast than that. It's kind of yeah. we do the we promote the kind of like um Desert Father fast Desert, yeah. of once a day eating. Yeah. Um, but most people don't do that and that's fine. Yeah. Um, Discourage sna- like no snacking, right? No is snacking part. is part yeah. of this. Right. Um, yeah. Like even if you don't do the bigger fast. Yeah. Right. And what's yeah. been interesting is we've been doing these retreats for as long as there's been simple house, which is we're on our 20th anniversary year. And at the beginning there were these weird things where it was like people would come and they'd be like, I'm sorry. Um, it's not healthy for me to not snack. I need to snack because yeah. we're supposed to eat small amounts many times a day. And they'd kind of like almost be blaming you that you were going to like ruin their health if for five yeah. days or a week yeah. they didn't snack, you know? Yep. And I always have a hard time with this cause I'm always like, am I ruining your health? What's going on? It was just funny as over the decades, it's like now everyone's coming and they all believe in intermittent fasting. Yeah. You know, and now they're mad at me that I'm like, don't eat meat because they're like, but meat's really good. I'm like, yeah, but you'll be fine for a week. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That was never the complaint at the beginning. Right. So, so basically what happens is so many young people come to the ministry now already on a weird diet. Yeah. You know, and you can't tell how much of it's real, how much of it's merely a good idea versus a necessary mm-hmm. idea or psychosomatic yeah. or anything, but in, mm-hmm. you're not really, none of us really necessarily need to be able to judge anyone else's diet like that. Right. But then they'll come and I'll be like, okay, here's the diet for retreat. Here's the, you know, I don't know what you call it, the disciplines of retreat. And they'll be like, okay, Clark, can we talk? And they want to pull yeah. me aside and like, give me a 30 minutes on why they need a completely modified retreat. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not yeah. like a diabetic or they're not like, don't have anything major wrong. Like celiac or whatever. Yeah. 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 And, um, and so now I'm just like, no, <laughs> no wimps, no whining yeah. go away. And yeah. I'm going to, and, and the thing is, what's also interesting is like the Montessori talks about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation mm-hmm. that you want people doing things because they internally motivated to do so, not yeah. because you're like forcing them externally to do so. Yeah. And honestly, I can't force anyone to do anything. Yeah. So if I find them in the hallways of the retreat structure, breaking the retreat disciplines and stuffing ice cream in their face or something like this, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. I'm just going to look at them with kind of puppy dog eyes and go, mm, uh, that's your whole punishment. That's my whole external motivation. <laughs> and then I'll pretend like they didn't do it and move on, you know? Yeah. Just so you know, we're not running a chain gang over here. We're just socially <laughs> pressuring people yeah. to take good retreats. I've had to, over the years, fine tune my diet to keep from uh, like having chronic migraines. And um, I remember on retreat talking to Father Adam about like wanting to do a bigger fast, but, you know, blood sugar and migraines and I don't know and whatever. And he was like, OK, well, just don't do it then. And it was like so disappointing because it was like, 
it was like, like, that's like what I was like kind of fishing for. I don't know. Like, it's like I wanted him to say, like, you don't have to do it, but you're still like really trying, you know, but it was like, okay, you don't want to do it. You're not tough enough. Sorry. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) If you have celiacs, don't eat wheat, right? But I think you can experiment more, you know, and than than a lot of people think they can, right? I'm not even into like trying to get into it. You know, they they know their situation, but there's also like everyone is tempted to not do the disciplines. You know, yeah. and, and, and the, the trick of it is you're never going to be able to tell the temptation from the reality. Like that's very difficult to do. Yeah. And an outsider yeah. has even a less chance of doing it than you do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right. And, um, it's kind of like where, um, this is part of the motivational thing with father Adam, where you're saying like, I had a friend who was a math major and his dad was a math professor. Right. Mm-hmm. And they were from, they were both Iranian and, uh, he would go to his dad and he'd be like, Hey dad, I don't understand this problem. And his dad would like explain it. Mm-hmm. And he'd be, and these were like pretty high level, like say mathematical proofs, yeah. like um, in mm-hmm. analysis, and and then he would say, um, you know, I still don't understand it, and mm-hmm. his da- dad would explain it again, and he would ask a question, and he'd be like, you know, I'm, it doesn't make sense to me still, and his dad would be like, well, not everyone can understand everything, and like walk <laughs> away. <laughs> And then that would piss yeah. him off and he'd have to go figure out the, the proof, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's kind of where this is, you know? I mean, yeah. It, it, yeah, not everyone can do everything. And if you can't, yeah. that's on you and goodbye, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is kind of funny because we had this thing that was probably not well thought out that we called a Ash Uggum Now Now. <laughs> and um, we liked back back in the olden days of Symbol House, we liked to uh, make a joke by declaring we were going to do something and call it annual, even when it was like the first time we ever did it. Yeah. So yeah. Ashagam Now Now was the annual Simple House ultimate grudge match. No whimps, yes. no whining. <laughs> so it was a game of ultimate that we would play when we got our communities together and we would yeah. almost force people to play it. Yeah. And I got a hernia once while doing Ash Uggum Now Now. <laughs> we played it on a sheet of ice once. Oh, yeah. And um, anyway, that's where this No Wimps, No Whining uh, theme yeah. came from was the old Ash Uggum Now Now. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's do the simple living hack. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hey, this is Ben again. Just a quick heads up. Coming up is Clark's story from last week about buying eyeglasses. He just kind of expands on it a little bit more. So in case you have deja vu like I did, that's why. Uh, He's still got some good gems in there, so you should stick around. Um, I am a borderline case of needing glasses, and my eyes are getting worse, so I had to go get glasses. Mm -hmm. And I went to a store. Warby Parker? I went to Warby Parker. That's right. Okay. Okay. I said it. Yeah, you said it. it. All right. (laughs) And they did not have any glasses for men. And in case you don't know, I identify as a man. So was it all ladies' glasses? (laughs) They had no glasses for women either. Oh. They only had non-binary glasses. Glasses for humans. (laughs) And frankly, I actually did like tool around a little bit. But I was also just crestfallen the whole time because I'm kind of, they're kind of trying to educate me while we're doing this. Yeah. Not on glasses. Like I actually, like that's been funny. Like while shopping for glasses, I'll say, can you tell me like what would look good on me? Can you, and, there, and no yeah, one like wants to tell me face. anything yeah. that helps me pick out glasses, mm-hmm. but they, so they're not educating me on glasses, which is disappointing because I don't buy enough glasses to know 
what would look yeah. good, right? Yeah. But they are wanting to educate me on, you know, sexual gender identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> there's just a point where you're just like, I don't want to give my money to this. Yeah. I don't want to support these people who are trying to show me the better way like this. Yeah. Right. And then it's interesting because then I started texting my friends who wear glasses and being like, mm-hmm. is there a black rifle glasses company? Yeah. And that's I, coffee. Is yeah. that coffee? So people yeah. don't know what that reference is. There's this coffee company called black rifle coffee, which is just like this signaling that they're doing that. Like we support second amendment rights to so buy coffee from us. <laughs> and you know, why not not give your money to people who want to take away something that you value? Yeah. You know, but I also don't feel the need that I need to like send my money to someone who's going way out of their way to signal they're on my side. Like, I yeah. don't care if my glasses are made by Mormons or by, you know, even atheists. Right. But I don't want them to like think that their glasses are a way to manipulate me into their way of thought. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. So anyway, my glasses are now being made in Ohio by another <laughs> company that does have sell glasses for men. so i i think this is kind of interesting because what's happening in america is there is a parallel economy happening yeah where there are these like major kind of companies that have these hr departments and have these agendas and um there's a growing group of conservatives or people who just disagree with those agendas and Mm -hmm. i use the word conservative very loosely because like i think all day long like a a lot of people like Rogan, um, Al Greenwald or whatever, even Barry yeah. Weiss, like they view, they think of themselves as quite liberal and I agree with them, Yeah, you yeah. know, but they're yeah. rejecting this kind of progressive part of liberalism, yeah. which I do think as Catholics, we have to reject. Yeah. I actually don't see a cogent argument that makes it consistent with Catholicism. Yeah. Right. But, um, that doesn't mean you have to like all of a sudden, you know, buy an AR 15, Although I don't really have a problem with that, but that is not the solution either. You know, you don't have to have Black Rifle Eyeglass Company because you're rejecting (laughs) Progressive Eyeglass Company. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I thought this was kind of interesting also with this idea of Catholic economy of wanting to know where your money goes, wanting it to go to your neighbor, not to some nameless, faceless Fortune 500 company, you know, and maybe willing to spend an extra buck while that happens. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Commentary, Laura? <laughs> um, I have a lot of thoughts swirling in my mind, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, All right. We will leave it at that. That should be our sign yeah. off. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Like, subscribe, comment, share it with your friends. It's the best podcast in all the world. New friend we'll of the podcast, Pope Benedict the 16th. <laughs> all right. God bless. God bless right. Pope Benedict. And uh, talk to everybody later. Yeah. Bye. Bye, Clark.